If you would take your Bibles, please. Um, we're reading this morning from Luke chapter 19, and the first 10 verses. We're continuing in the, the series, and I've been asked to speak on the encounter that Jesus had with Zacchaeus. So this is Luke chapter 19, and the first 10 verses. This is God's word. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save those who are lost. And we know that God will bless the public reading of his word. If you keep your Bibles open, it'd be really helpful. Just before we come to open this passage, let's just pray and ask God to, to speak to us. Dear Lord, as we, as we come now to your word and this story of Zacchaeus, may, may you remove from us any sense of familiarity, but rather open up this passage, this gripping illustration of a life that Jesus changed in a new and a real way. Thank you that you're a God with whom nothing is impossible. Here was a man who, who had no idea what was in front of him as he contemplates that visit and his vantage point, and yet how life-changing that encounter proved to be. For him, life was never the same again. And that's what you can do for each of us, if only we are willing to let you. Teach us by your Holy Spirit, and may your greater glory be our chief concern. In your name we pray. Amen. I wonder whether you ever have had a chance encounter with a person that totally changed the direction of your life. You know, it could have been a meeting or a conversation with someone that perhaps moved you to change your career entirely. You went down a totally different career pathway. Or perhaps someone who enabled you to see the way ahead through a particularly dark period of your life. And then, of course, that encounter might just have been the person that you would go on to fall in love with and eventually marry. The story we've read about Zacchaeus this morning, I guess, is familiar to many of us. You may even have taught it in Sunday school. You've heard it preached on on many occasions. But I hope this morning you can grasp afresh just how much there is to learn in these 10 very short verses. And superficially, you know, the encounter seems so random. But we need to grasp that this was no chance encounter. No, this was rather an encounter ordained by God. 
And while we frequently may, may hear this story as being about Zacchaeus, the man who wanted to see Jesus, it's actually a story all about Jesus. Jesus was already looking for Zacchaeus. And in these verses, you know, Luke, he gives us a wonderful description of the day that Jesus met him, of how the crowd judges outward appearances and how Jesus can bring real change to people's lives. And what's more, in this passage in verse 10, we also get a glimpse of Jesus' mission statement, as it were, what he came to this earth to do. He come to look for the lost and to restore them to their rightful place in the kingdom of God. In verse 1, though, it appears at first reading that Jesus isn't even going to stop in Jericho. It's his last stop on the journey to Jerusalem. And in the previous chapter, chapter 18, and then later on in this chapter, chapter 19, Luke has been telling us with even more urgency than usual that Christ is on a journey, the culmination of his life's purpose. And the closer he gets to Jerusalem, the more focused he is on that goal. And his destination is almost in sight. In the previous chapter, chapter 18, we read of the parable Jesus told about the widow whose endless persistence had eventually moved a godless judge to acquit her of an adversary. And of the Pharisee and tax collector who went up to the temple to pray, what was totally different mindsets. In that chapter, chapter 18, Luke also describes Jesus' encounter with a rich young ruler, sadly, whose possessions posed the stumbling block that prevented him from getting into the kingdom of heaven, and of a blind beggar who kept crying out for mercy and was rewarded in not only his salvation, but also his sight. And now, in this chapter, chapter 19, Luke, as it were, picks up the theme of that previous chapter, chapter 18, and gives us a rich picture of a poor man entering the kingdom through his encounter with Jesus. The story then centers around Jesus passing through Jericho. Now, Jericho was a popular winter resort. It was an important trading center, and it was world famous for its, its balsam groves. But the opening verses, Luke introduces to a certain man who wanted to see Jesus, verse 3. But before that, in verse 2, he gives us some important detail, which is of significance. We're told the man's name, Zacchaeus, and his occupation. He was a tax collector. But he wasn't just any tax collector. No, he's introduced as being a chief, a chief tax collector, verse 2. The, the senior officer in what must have been a thriving civil service in a very wealthy town like Jericho. But Luke hasn't finished because before concluding that sentence, he actually goes on to add several other words which are laced with meaning. He says, and he was rich. The inference was that this man's occupation had made him wealthy. You see, in Palestine, taxes were collected from the inhabitants and paid to the occupying Romans minus the self-determined percentage made by the tax collector. No doubt he was rich by lining his pockets by fraud, you know, much like a modern-day mafia type of protection racket. Tax demands were accompanied by the threat of violence, however extortionate they seemed. Not surprisingly, the synagogue disapproved of him. People shunned him. They despised both he and his ill-gotten wealth. 
And we're also told in verse 3 that he was a short man. And perhaps with a shorter man's urge to prove himself and to gain recognition. But then the narrative moves on to the the main storyline. This man wanted to see Jesus. However, it wasn't just as simple as that because there were the obstacles he faced. And the passage lists two obstacles in particular. The first was that he was physically of short stature, which generally impeded his view, but in this instance was critical given his mission. But Zacchaeus was also lacking in stature in another sense. He was an outsider, just like that persistent widow, like the tax collector who went up into the temple to pray, like the blind beggar in chapter 18. He too was one of the poor who Jesus was bringing this message of good news to. It was hardly surprising that he and his like were described as sinners, as we read in chapter 5, verse 30. But the other obstacle he faced was the crowd. Unfortunately, for just like him, other people had the same idea. They'd heard that Jesus was in town and they were curious to see him as well. The problem was for Zacchaeus was that these two obstacles, on the one hand, the crowd, the other, his stature, they seemed to, to coalesce. Because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd, and therefore his view of Jesus was in jeopardy. However, it was understandable, as we read in verse 7, that nobody would budge to let this little man get a better view of Jesus. But Luke also tells us the persistence he showed. Hearing that Jesus was in town, he was determined to see him. Now, why did Zacchaeus want to see Jesus? Well, it's quite possible that he heard about him from other tax collectors who had told him that this teacher actually welcomed tax collectors, whereas most people, like the the Pharisees and the scribes, they hated them like poison. And then Levi, one of their number, as we read in chapter 5, verse 27, he had very dramatically become a follower of Jesus. What did he do in his enthusiasm? He actually invited all his friends to come to meet with Jesus. And presumably the only friends of a tax collector were, yes, you've guessed it, fellow tax collectors. And in addition, a number of the tax collectors were listening to Jesus preach, and they heard him tell the story of a a Pharisee and a tax collector who had gone up to the temple to pray, the take-home message of which was that the tax collector, who, unlike the Pharisee, had had announced his unworthiness to God, he was counted righteous by God, whereas the self-righteous Pharisee was not or perhaps more personally, did Zacchaeus' desire to see Jesus betray a longing for forgiveness, you know, a relationship with God he so longed for, a sense of belonging to his people denied him by the religious folks of his day who had simply written him off as a sinner beyond redemption. So perhaps it, it wasn't surprising, if we think about it, that Zacchaeus was intrigued, you know, even acting completely out of character by climbing up that tree to get a better view of this Jesus. But you can almost hear the catcalls of some of those people in the crowd there that that he had been fleecing. Here is a man who so much wanted to see Jesus. But the passage also describes the choice that was given to him. When Jesus arrives beneath the spot where Zacchaeus is wedged, as it were, up that tree, 
an amazing thing happens. Luke tells us that Jesus, he made for the tree, he stopped, he looked up into Zacchaeus' downward peering face, and he told him he must immediately come down because that day he had to stay at his house, verse 5. Now the word there translated must, that's one which Luke only uses in reference to divine necessity. So this was no chance encounter. Jesus' dinner with Zacchaeus is ordained by God for a reason. Jesus hadn't intended just to, to pass through Jericho, as it were. No, he had always been going to Jericho to meet with a local tax man. This meeting had an eternal purpose. I note also the knowledge Jesus displayed. The account reminds us that you know, how the incidental details can be so important to a story. Verse 5 says that Jesus looked up. Well, so far as we can tell from verses 3 and 4, Zacchaeus' purpose was to get above the crowds to see Jesus. After all, that's what, that's what trees are for. But none of this might have happened if Jesus had not looked up. You know, what if Jesus simply gone on? You know, can you imagine what the, the conversations Zacchaeus might have had with his wife that night over dinner? It might have gone something like, well, so I climbed up into the tree and Jesus went by on the road not 20 feet from me. And then he went on on his way to Jerusalem. But I got a good look at him. Picturing that scene allows us to realize what makes all the difference. It's the initiative. It's the initiative of Jesus. What, what Zacchaeus could never have anticipated was seeing a pair of eyes penetrating, looking at him through those branches in the tree and their owner, yes, Jesus, inviting himself to his house. Jesus knows his name. He knows where he is. He takes the initiative and he speaks his divine must. He must stay at his house that day. And everything here turns in the fact that Jesus called him. Jesus sought him. The lost didn't find his way, no Jesus found him. But there's also the request that Jesus made. When Jesus looked up into that tree, he called Zacchaeus down instantly and invited himself to his house for dinner. And there was urgency about this. You know, Jesus didn't suggest that Zacchaeus might think about it or perhaps go and chat with his fellow tax collectors or even go and form a committee to see what the best way forward. No, no. He said, come down, come down right now, Zacchaeus. And the crowd, well, they were stunned. You know, of all the people that Jesus was going to invite to his house for dinner on this flying visit to Jericho, the tax collector was the worst. He was a sinner, and the crowd didn't like it. In verse 7, we read that they murmured their disapproval. But in these verses, we also read the change that was evident in him. Look at verse 6. So he came down at once. And he welcomed him gladly. Or as the King James puts it, he received him joyfully. Of note is his instant obedience. The effect on Zacchaeus, it was instant and astonishing. In a moment of time, he became a new creation. Or as Paul reminds us in his letter to the Corinthians, where he says, therefore, of any person, if any person be in Christ, they are a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new and in that moment 
Zacchaeus not only saw who Jesus was, but he discovered his own long lost identity. He was a man loved by God with an eternal love and longed for and loved for so much by God that God sent his son on purpose to find him, to rescue him from his lostness by coming personally into his home and bringing that sense of acceptance with God into his heart. We see his instant obedience, but we also hear his public confession. When Zacchaeus speaks, he's a changed man. He shows this by announcing his intention to give half of all his possessions to charity and for repaying all those people he has swindled fourfold. Now that was over and above what was required by the law as we read in Leviticus chapter 6 and and Numbers chapter 5 which only actually required restitution plus a fifth. And it wasn't the criticism of the crowd that made Zacchaeus do this. After all, their criticisms had never produced any result before. Moreover, Christ certainly had not made it a condition of his acceptance of him. No, Zacchaeus had discovered acceptance, acceptance with God, something that he had sought for years from wealth. His his compulsive desire to make money had now gone. Indeed, he felt he no longer needed his wealth, and he gave it away. And also the thought of entertaining Christ to a meal paid for by money, which he'd obtained by fraud, that now seemed repulsive and quite impossible. Moreover, his program of social concern, if you will, was far more generous than the Pharisee who went up into the temple to pray in, in, chapter, in chapter 18 because that person announced that he simply was giving tithes of all of his possession. And then verse 9, Jesus makes an amazing, an amazing assessment of his visit. He says, today salvation has come to this house. Salvation came not because of what Zacchaeus had promised to do in verse 8, but what he would do was rather the evidence of salvation. The order here is everything. And doesn't rich Zacchaeus, he stand in so stark contrast with the rich young ruler in chapter 18, for Zacchaeus' salvation shows us that he was a rich man who had slithered through the eye of a needle into the kingdom. No wonder that Jesus was able to be so definite about the conversion, declaring him to be a true spiritual son of Abraham. As Paul writes in his letter to the Galatians in chapter 3, he says, Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. Through being accepted by God, Zacchaeus had recovered his true identity. He had discovered that he was part of the people to whom God had made that promise all of those years ago, that he was in the line of his great ancestor Abraham, who was first justified by faith in Genesis chapter 15, and then he lived to justify his profession of faith by works, Genesis chapter 2 and James chapter 2. Zacchaeus is one of the covenant people who, one of the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And Jesus here is fulfilling Yahweh's word in Ezekiel chapter 34 in bringing the lost of the covenant back to the Lord. So as we conclude, what can we take home from these 
short verses to you. What are the lessons we need to learn from them? Well, first of all, there's the change that only Jesus can make. You know, no one can doubt the transformation in this man's case. It was truly remarkable. It was remarkable for its totality. You know, there was no time for Zacchaeus to count the cost. You know, to consider loss of face, loss of pocket, loss of status. It was remarkable for its totality. But it was also remarkable for its publicity. He was willing to declare publicly his faith in and acceptance of Jesus. It was remarkable for its joy. Such was the transformation of his life and his will. He received Jesus joyfully. And he did so because he knew he was accepted by Jesus. He'd been given a, a new identity that far outshone anything else that the world could offer, whether by rank or riches. Yes, the obstacles he faced were considerable. You know, the crowd, his short stature, his occupation, his riches, and they, they all murmured against him when Jesus invited him into his house. But Christianity always has been and always will be countercultural. But what an example of true faith and real change. Like Zacchaeus, if we truly believe that people should be able to identify us as different, not just where we park our cars on Sunday morning, but in the workplace on Monday morning, in school on Monday morning, and every day of the week. The writer, Rebecca Manley-Pippert, she, she puts it well. She says, skeptics can tell if we're merely reciting a set of beliefs or if we've fallen in love with the one we are proclaiming. And if we're truly following Jesus, then we must nail our colours to the mast. Our confession is public. Paul says, writing to the Romans, this is in chapter 10, verse 9, he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lee Straubel was an award-winning journalist for 13 years and a total skeptic about the Christian faith until 1981. In one sermon he writes, how can I tell you the difference God has made in my life? My daughter Alice was five years old when I became a follower of Jesus and all that she had known in those first five years was a dad who was profane and angry. I remember I came home one night and kicked a hole in the living room wall simply out of anger with life. I was ashamed to think of the times Alison hid in her room to get away from me. Five months after I gave my life to Jesus Christ, that little girl went to my wife and said, Mommy, I want God to do for me what he has done for Daddy. At age five, what was she saying? She'd never studied the, the archaeological evidence for the truth of the Bible. All she knew was that dad used to be his way, hard to live with. But more and more, she saw a change for better in her dad. And if that was what God does to people then, sign her up. At age five, she gave her life to Jesus. God changed my life. He changed my world he changed my eternity. But that takes us to the second point, the opportunity that only you can take. Have you noticed that in the opening verse, verse 1, Luke tells us that Jesus 
entered Jericho and was passing through. Now for Zacchaeus, that day in Jericho was the opportunity of a lifetime. Jesus was passing his way. If he'd missed him, he might never have that opportunity again. But he ran. He so much wanted to see Jesus. And when Jesus gave him that choice, he came down with haste. He received him joyfully. He confessed him publicly. He lived for him visibly. You're here this morning. Perhaps you come every Sunday morning or perhaps you haven't been for a while. But you're here this morning and it's no coincidence. God has intended you to be here because he's something he wants to say to you. He is seeking you. Note that Luke adds in verse 10 that it was precisely to carry out this type of life-saving mission that Jesus came into this world. Verse 10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus is looking for you. And by his Spirit, he draws you to him. He wants you to know his Son, Jesus Christ, the sinless Son of God who came to this earth to rescue from sin. He poured his life out on the cross for you. He took on himself the punishment that you and I deserved. He who knew no sin became sin for us. But who has Jesus come to seek and to save? Well, verse 10 tells us that too. He has come not to seek the self-assured or the the self-reliant or the the self-centered, the self-grandiose. No, he's come for the lost. And of course, it's only people who are lost can be found. It's only people who recognize they are in peril can be rescued. It's only those people who are willing to admit that what they're living for, whether it be their wealth, their ambition, their pleasure, their social status, their liking to be liked, they will never truly satisfy. And that's where Jesus comes in. For he has promised that if we genuinely come to him in repentance and faith and give him control of our lives, he will give us a new life, a new identity. Quite literally, we will never be the same again. If in doubt, look at Zacchaeus. Look at Stephen Longview. Look at Lee Strubble. This morning, God has given you the opportunity to accept him or to reject him. It's an opportunity that only you can take. But you need to know that this opportunity may never come again. Jesus said to to Zacchaeus, today, today, I must dwell in your house. Today is the only day we can be certain of. Jesus is passing your way today. My prayer is that you would be willing to open your heart to Jesus this morning. Receive him willingly and joyfully. And he will be faithful to you and change and make you and mold you into someone that he can use for his glory. Let's just pray for him. Father, thank you for your presence here this morning. Thank you that you are, you're still in the business of changing lives. Thank you that you're willing to take us as we are and not as we ought to be and change us and make us and mould us into someone that you can use. And for those of us here who profess this morning to know you, I pray out afresh 
we would be willing to submit every aspect of our lives to you in joyful devotion and glad service. And if there's someone here who doesn't know you personally, help them to get a fresh glimpse, even for the first time this morning, of your amazing love for us. The love that took your son, the Lord Jesus, to the cross to rescue us from sin. Thank you that there's no one beyond your reach of love and mercy. You're a God who can, who can shatter old habits, who can blast apart old attitudes, who can wash away old resentments, hurt, pride. And just as with Zacchaeus, you do it dramatically. You do it unequivocally. You do it completely. Give these dear folks courage to take this opportunity this morning to come and receive you into their lives in repentance and faith, for it's in your name we pray.